Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. So I wasn't supposed to speak today, but I am, because on Tuesday in the prayer room, if you don't know that we have, we have prayer from on Tuesday mornings from 8 to noon, and any of you guys who are not employed on Tuesday mornings from 8 to noon, you're welcome to join us. We don't do corporate prayer. We're not praying out loud. We're just taking time in the presence of God and just spending time with him. And it's, it's a really beautiful, it's a beautiful time. And um, in, in t- on Tuesday, I was actually just reading through um, the Bible, and I, I was reading um, the, the place where Jesus was asked, what, like, what is the greatest commandment? And he begins to share the greatest commandment, which I've preached on not too long ago, but it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, right? And to love others as yourself. That's the second greatest commandment, right? And I was just, I was just praying that back to the Lord and just really, this is, this is what repentance looks like. This is a lifestyle repentance. It's not necessarily knowing that you've done something wrong, but it's asking the Lord to search your heart. And so I just took some time and I was asking the Lord, would you search my heart? Would you tell me if I am all in with you? Is there places in me that are not all being given to him? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Okay, God is all of my heart loving you. With all of my mind. God is all of my mind loving you. With all of my strength, God is all of my strength loving you. Just taking that piece by piece and just putting my heart before the Lord. And then he gave me a picture. And I'm not going to share that with you until the end of the sermon. But I, it, it put, like I started, like it was connected into the presence of God, which is this series that we're in, right? And I just, I, it, was, it was for you. It was a picture for you guys. And I, I really feel that it's... Um, I went to Sean, and I was just like, do you have something for Sunday? Because I, I think that I know where we need to go. We need to stay on the presence of God for longer. We need to, we need to rest here. Because, because we can be taught on the presence of God, right? And we can understand it here. But what we have to do is we have to get it here. And the presence of God that we're talking about in our core values is also a corporate thing. And today I'm going to be talking about how each individual affects the corporate. All right? Because it's really important because as we come in and we are worshiping God, we are stepping into a place of corporate worship where his presence can come. And it comes in a different way often than it does in our personal time with the Lord. And so what we want to talk about even in our core values is really just that we're, we are a church that's after the presence of God. And we want to be after more than just the knowledge of his presence. We want to actually be after his presence. And so we're going to just talk a little bit about the practical ways that 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 looks. Like, what does that look like practically? Before I get into anything heavy, I'm going to tell you a story. How many of you like stories? Story time with Misty. All right. Here we go. So in our last house, which was built somewhere between 1860 and 1880. Um, We had done a lot of 
renovations to this house because it was built between 1860 and 1880, and it hadn't been totally up, up to date, updated is the right word. Yeah, we had to tear off the entire bathroom. We've, I've told those stories before. All right. So one day, so we had, you know, it's the old, beautiful homes where you walk into the main door, which we never use because you always use the back door, right? The back door is the kitchen door. But the, the main door, if you walked into it, it had this really pretty staircase that went up and then it had a landing and then it went up again to the two little bedrooms. And while we were doing some remodel, we actually added a a miniature like four foot door to go into the attic space so that we could access the attic, which made, you know, storing all of our Christmas decorations and all of the stuff that you need to store so much nicer, right? Because before that, there was no attic space in this house. And so we suddenly had storage, which was beautiful. So one day, one day Sean is putting something up in the attic and I'm downstairs in the living room. So you down the stairs and to the, like, to the right, and I'm back, I can't see him, all right, so I'm not in the same room as he is, and I hear the attic door open, and then I hear shouted, holy crap, the door slams, and Sean's like, Misty, and so I, I come running over to see what happened, and he was like, he was sitting there like, he goes, I'm opening the attic door, and he goes, and something starts to rattle, and he goes, and as I look down, he goes, there is this snake coiled up, ready to strike. He goes, right, like, he's like six inches inside the attic door. And, and I'm like, what are we going to do? It's inside my house, people. Like, I mean, I don't live in the attic, but the attic's not, it's a little tiny door to my home. And I was like, what are we going to do? And he was like, well, we're going to have to catch the thing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, and so he goes, it's probably just the black snake. And I'm like, but its tail was rattling. And he's like, black snakes can rattle. They can sound like a, like a rattlesnake when they're under, under duress. And so I'm like, what are we going to do? And so Sean goes over to our neighbor um, who had those little, those little, like when he mows, he had like these little stick, like, I don't know what they are, little grabbies things that they're long and he would grab his sticks as he was mowing and so he went over to our neighbor's house and he was like hey Joe can we borrow your grabby things I don't know what they're called I'm gonna call them grabby things and Joe was like sure why do you need them and Sean's like well and he goes whatever you do never mention this to my wife he goes never mention it because we shared property right so he's like don't ever mention that she will never step foot in your house and so we don't mention it to his wife right Hopefully she's not watching. <laughs> they ended up buying my house later. Not to live in it. Not, it wasn't theirs. It was, they used it as an investment property. But anyway. So, so we go back. You know, we now have like probably, I think it was a, it was a, um, a pillowcase and the grabby things, right? And we go back in and Sean opens up the attic door and guess what? It's gone, which we expected. Like he'd already peeked. It's gone. Like, and so we searched the attic, but the attic is full of insulation, and it's not like a finished attic. It's not like it's you know pretty where you can like live in it. It's literally an attic, right? And so we search it, and we cannot find the snake to save our life. And it wasn't a small snake. It wasn't like a little one. It was six and a half foot long. It was a black snake. It had been feeding 
on mice and all kinds of other things in our yard and it decided that it wanted to come into my house for some reason. So Eden's like shocked and in horror. <laughs> she has no memories of this. So they were like three and four, three and five. And so, so anyway, we're like, Sean's like, well, it's probably back outside. I'm like, probably back outside. He's like, yeah. I'm like, how did it get in the attic? Like, do you, like, we're a story and a half above the ground. It's in my, it's not in the basement. It's in my attic. How did, and he goes, well, it had access. I'm like, close the access. And he's like, Misty, this is an 1800s home. He's like closing those attic, like the access to everything. He's like, it's virtual impossible. It's, it's just, it's an old house. And I was like, is it going to crawl through the vents? He was like, well, maybe. I'm like, is it going to show up in my drawers? Like, am I going to literally put my baby to bed and then have a snake under their blanket? Like, like I am literally in panic going, what is it we going to And he was like, you're going to have to just learn to live with it. It's probably not going to come back in the house. And I'm like, burn down the house, people. <laughs> we did not burn down the house. But it was this process of like walking through like, what am I going to do with this six and a half foot snake that just decided to manifest itself on my second story attic that's literally, you know, like there's a tiny little, it was like a little plywood door. Like it wasn't thick or sturdy. I mean, I'm sure the thing could like knocked it down if it wanted to, right? It was huge. Anyway, so I would say Jesus like loved me so much because I had to live with it like that in turmoil for two days. But two days later, we go outside and we find the snake outside. And I was thankful, but it wasn't still like, you know, once it got in, it can get in again. And it knows how to get in. And so it wasn't too much longer that we did sell the house. I don't know that it had anything to do with the snake. It might have had something to do with this job and living an hour and a half away and, you know, those types of things. But Jesus loved me enough to let me move from that house and no longer to be scared that a snake is going to be, like, attacking me in the middle of my night while I'm trying to sleepwalk or help my children who are sleepwalking, you know. I'm going to go down to the bathroom. It's going to be sitting there, you know. (laughs) That's terrible, right? But here's the thing. Like, here's the point of my story. All right, well, it's fun to hear about my, my life. It's not really... It's not really the point. The point of the story is this. A snake is, by any other, for anybody who's normal, an enemy. Right? Some of you weirdos like snakes. God bless you. Keep them at your house. (laughs) Hopefully in a cage. All right. But for those of you who are like me, who are semi-normal, they're considered enemies. Right? They're not your friend. You don't pet them and love on them, and kiss them on the lips, right? Like, that's not what we do with snakes, especially wild ones that aren't tamed, if you can tame a snake for real. I don't know, right? But there was an access point in our home that allowed the enemy to get in, right? There was an access point in our home that allowed the enemy to get in, even though it wasn't a, or I should say it was a harmless snake, Sean's like, yes, we have a six-foot black snake living right outside our house. And I'm like, and inside. He's like, we're going to have no mice. 
we're going to have, like, we're in the country, right? He's like, it's going to be great. And I'm like, uh, but here's the thing, right? Like, it, it was a harmless snake until it bites, right? Now, it's not going to kill you. It's not venomous. It's a black snake. But it still can harm you, right? It could harm my children. My children were little, you know, not to mention what it did to my emotions, right? It brought all kinds of fear into my house, anxiety, stress. There was no peace going to sleep that night. I literally had dreams of it, like, coming through the vents, you know? And, like, like I, was, I was seriously being traumatized by this thing. But I think that this is a great picture for what, for what compromise looks like in our life, Right? We're talking about the corporate presence of God. And, and we're talking about how to bring in the corporate presence of God. And when we have access points in our life, it allows the enemy a little pathway to come in, right? And it can be dangerous, and it can kill us if it was something other than a black snake, right? But what else does it do? It brings in fear and anxiety and stress, Right? The peace of God that passes all understanding leaves when you're faced with an enemy sometimes, if you don't know or understand how to deal with it. So my message for today is really this. It's, it's that as we're talking about the corporate presence of God, I want to talk about today compromise, compromising our pres- the presence. Okay? Compromise compromises the presence. And so that was... That was kind of the picture that I had on, on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, um, I, was, I got to go to a coffee shop. I was waiting for a friend to come so we could have some coffee together. And I just took some time with the Lord. I got there over an hour early and just, just took time with Jesus. And, um, and he took me to Second Chronicles. And we're going we're gonna to read some of the Old Testament today, okay? A lot of us don't read a lot of the Old Testament, but it's important to read it. And it's beautiful because we don't talk... Paul and I didn't talk about his message this morning, and he's talking about the priests and the Levites, and I want to just take a minute, and like because we're going to read 2 Chronicles, I want to tell you for just a couple minutes about the priests and the Levites so I can set the understanding for you and the differences between the two, because there was a difference between the priests and the Levites, okay? So the first thing you want to know about the priests and Levites is that the Levites were a tribe of Israelites that descended from Levi. Okay? That's why they're called Levites. One of, they're one of the 12 sons of Jacob. All the priests had to be Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Okay? So out of this tribe, if I have, personally, I have three children, okay, they would be my tribe. Not all of my tribe are priests. Okay? But to be a priest, you would have to be from my tribe. Does that make sense? So that's what that looks like. Okay. The next thing is the priests had responsibility over the, the aspects of the temple worship. Levites had, I'm sorry, that should say priests, not Levites. Priests on the top right, right? That should say priests. Priests had to be males that met certain physical and age qualifications. They also had to be ceremonially clean to perform their duties before the holy God. They served as mediators between Israelites and God and only a priest could enter into the holy place, okay? So I I wrote that wrong. I'm sorry about that. It does say that priests had to be males 
to meet the certain physical and age and to meet the physical and age qualifications. They also had to be ceremonially clean to perform their duties before a holy God, and they served as the mediators. Okay, so this is important as we step into reading just a little bit of Second Chronicles. I'm not going to read the whole story. I am going to just read pieces of it. Okay, so Second Chronicles, twenty nine thirty one. We're going to start off with that. <clears throat> then Hezekiah answered. Hezekiah is a king. He had just actually been established as king. So pause there for a minute and stop reading and just listen for just a second. So the, the king Hezekiah comes in and God says that he served the Lord like his father David. So, so in the middle of it, Hezekiah's actual father or the king before him was not a good man and he did not serve the Lord. So Hezekiah does. Hezekiah loves Jesus. He loves God. And I shouldn't say Jesus. I should say he loves God. He loves the Father. And he serves the Father. And he begins to go and he begins to cleanse the temple and to restore it and to make the people holy again, okay? That was his goal as the king of Israel. So Hezekiah, the king, answered and said, now that you have consecrated yourselves, he's talking to the priests and the Levites, to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. So the assembly, this also includes the um, leaders and some of the people, okay? So he's called them together after the, the temple has been cleansed, ceremonially cleansed by the priest. He's now calling the leaders of the kingdom to come. And he says, um, so the assembly brought sacrifices and thank, thank offerings, and as many were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. So you have people bringing in offerings but then you have some people who actually had a willing heart who brought in different offerings. Okay? All right. So stay with me as we move to this. No, it might be a bit boring for just a minute. So skip to Second Chronicles 29.34. But the priests were, were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves, for the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves before the Lord than the priests. I read that. I was reading through that section and my heart just, be, like, I literally began to just cry. I sat there and I was just like, the priest's job, like their calling in life was to be sanctified before the Lord. Their job was to serve God and to serve people. They had one job. It was to be sanctified and to remain hallowed or holy Paul said today, set apart from the rest of the congregation, from the rest of the people, because they were supposed to be sanctified. So the Levites were already supposed to step into this place of some sanctification, and the priests even more, because they had the requirement to enter into the holy place. They had this, this privilege of being able to serve God for people. And the Bible says that at that time, that the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. And I just, I was so, like, just, I don't know the right word. I, I think just in grief 
over that because we know, like we look at our culture right now and we see that like pastors are mixing so much in to the gospel. They're, they're not serving God. They're not hallowing themselves before the Lord. And as I, I just sat there and I was just like, God, what are we, what are, what are Sean and I supposed to do for that? Like, do we have a role to play in making sure that the pastors are sanctified, that they're holy before God? Like, what's, what's our role? And he goes, Misty, I want you to listen. Keep reading. Just pay attention. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll keep, I'll keep reading. So I'm going to skip a little bit more because there's a lot of words there, okay? There's a lot of stuff going on in Second Chronicles. And we're going to move over to Second Chronicles 30, verses 2 and 3. It says, for the king and his leaders and all the assembly of Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. Okay, so that's not the right month for the Passover. So they're, they're actually going to start, they're going to do a, a Passover at a different time than normally prescribed because of verse 3. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of the priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered at Jerusalem. Do you see that again? There weren't enough priests who had hallowed themselves before the Lord, who had consecrated themselves so they couldn't even serve the people. What's their job? Their job is to worship and to serve God and to serve people. And here we see that two times now, we see that there's not enough. There's not enough priests. There were enough priests. There weren't enough priests who had taken the time to set themselves apart in in, in hallowedness and holiness in in all the purification that is required of them to be able to actually serve this is what i asked the lord i said how could priests whose job is to literally be set apart before the lord and others refuse to hallow themselves this is this is so i read through that those sections and this is what he said to me he said misty He goes, why do you think this is weird? He goes, don't you know that now in the new covenant, every born-again believer is a priest? Every born-again believer is a priest. Do you guys see how that affects you? Because a priest's job is to be holy, set apart, fully devoted to the Lord so that they can serve the Lord and they can serve others. As a Christian, what is my job? To serve the Lord and to serve others. But here's the problem. There's not enough priests to serve the people because they refuse to hallow themselves before the Lord. That's us, guys. That's every single one of us, including me. I'm not on a platform. I'm only on a platform so you can see me at the back, right? This platform is meaningless. It doesn't mean I'm perfect or I'm supposed to be set apart because at the cross, the priests are no longer needed to represent God to you. We have full access as believers to the throne of grace, right? My job isn't to bring you to Christ and to atone for your sins like it used to be in the Old Testament, right? You guys have been set in as priests. Your job is to worship the Lord and serve others in holiness. 
2 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, you are chosen generation of royal priesthood. What are we? A royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. Every believer in here is a royal priesthood. It doesn't say pastors. Right? It says you. When I read that, I read that as me. I. I am a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Do you see how they're, like, it's not just one thing, it's all of it. He's, we're special to him. We've been called a holy nation. We're asked to be set apart. That you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. What's your job? It's to proclaim him. Do you see that? That you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness. Your job is to love God and love people and talk about him. Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Okay, I love that scripture verse, but this one, this one's even more this one carries an even stronger punch when you take it and you parallel that to Second um, Chronicles, like I was reading. It's First Peter 2, 4, and 5, just a few verses before that. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, this is talking about Jesus, but chosen by God and precious. That verse 4 is talking about Jesus. It says, you also. Who? You also. That means me, Right? As, a living, as living stones, you're being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, and your job is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in Second Chronicles, there weren't enough priests to minister to the people because they refused to sanctify themselves. They weren't willing to step into the process of sanctification. They weren't choosing to be holy and set apart before the Lord. So they couldn't offer the sacrifices that they needed to. They couldn't serve the people and connect the people to God. What does this say that we're supposed to do? It's the same thing without the blood. Like physically, right? Without the death of an animal. Instead, we have Jesus. And his blood. And our job is to connect people to him. Our job is to talk about him. But here's, here's the problem. Are we, are we actually carrying him with us? Or are we so unwilling to hallow ourselves because of compromise and mixture? Right? What do I mean by that? Here's I the question. You can add the question up here because there's four little points. Why does it matter? Why does sanctifying ourselves matter? Because there is the idea that, that now that Jesus died for our sins and I'm a Christian, that that means I'm holy, right? It means I'm sanctified and I'm in the process of becoming holy. I had a picture of this and um, the idea of mixture. I have two, two, I have a couple different pictures actually. The first one we're going to talk about mixture. What do I mean by that? What happens when you have, like, so 
water has, it's a hydrator. It has, if it's spring water and decent for you, it actually has nutrients in it that fill you and, and heal you and restore you, right? It is, makes up like most of our body, right? It's really, really important to our life. So when we take hot water and we mix it with something like ground coffee beans, what happens? It turns into coffee. Is it water? It's coffee. It's been mixed. There's a mixture. It actually forms something new. And what is coffee? Life. Somebody said coffee is life. Coffee is actually a dehydrator. So what once actually filled you and made you healthy and whole and filled your body and woke you up and gave you energy in its purest form now is mixed and it dehydrates you the more you drink. Right? And it gives you false energy. I love coffee. I'm not, I'm not, I know. I told Sean, I was like, I'm going to sin up there. I'm going to talk bad about coffee. But here's the thing. Like, coffee is actually not water. And we can't call it water. Because it's been mixed into a new substance. When we step into Christ, it says that we, the old man died. Okay, now here's what the picture of with mixture. If you have a glass that's filled with soil, right, and it maybe let's just picture it, it's half full with soil, and I begin to pour pure water into it, and I fill it all the way to the, to the, to the full, right? It's being mixed, right? The water is getting mixed in with the soil. But what happens when I have enough pure water, and I just keep pouring it into the glass? All of that mixture, all of the grossness begins to bubble out until you pour it so much so that it becomes pure. That is a lack of compromise. That is the process of sanctification in our life. We start out half full, a quarter full, completely full of dirt, right? And then comes Jesus and he pours the pureness of water over us and it goes deep into our glass and it begins to pull the dirt from the bottom up and it begins to bubble. And as he fills us, all of the gunk begins to come out and it pours over the edge until it's completely, everything in it now is completely pure. Unless we only allow a little bit and we leave it in mixture form. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to come and to just continue to pour his water into us until we overflow and all of the gunk comes out? Or do we just want a little bit of God? With just a little bit of God, we become a little bit like coffee. We begin to get a little bit dehydrated. We lose our nutrients. We lose our energy. Our cells begin to die. Our skin gets dried out, right? We actually begin to die a little bit. Our body begins, if we only drink dehydrators, our bodies begin to shut down. Our organs don't process well. Our energy actually gets worse because we're living life, what we think is Christian, but it's actually just mixture. We've become something that's not Christ-like, something that's not necessarily world-like, we're somewhere in the middle. 
that's not a hallowed priest before God. Right? Compromise. Compromise is similar to mixture, but it's, it's really when we allow our feelings to, to let us settle on the differences. Oh, that's a really, really rigid, hard line you're drawing about sin. So we're just going like, to just, just calm down a little bit. I'm just going to calm down. I'm just going to let a little bit of the things that I know to be true before the Lord just, just dumb it down just a little bit. I know that the Holy Spirit told me not to do that, but I'm sure if I just walk that line, it'll be fine. Compromise is when we ask the question, how far can I go before it's sin? I would suggest that when we ask that question, we're already in sin. Maybe you haven't crossed the line into the act, but your heart has. Right? If we're asking God, how far can I get angry until I sin against my spouse? How many words can I say before I've already sinned? I'm already in a lifestyle of sin. Why? Because God says to be holy like he is holy. It means completely set apart. It doesn't mean walking the line as close to sin as I possibly can get. That's compromise, guys. When, we, when our kids ask us, you know, well, what do you mean exactly by that boundary? I want to know exactly what the boundary is. And I'm going to just walk like that's the boundary. I'm just going to get, how close can I get before I fall off? Are we happy with our kids? Or are we just going, just be Christ-like, guys? Just go be safe. You know, if my child, Josiah, it's always Josiah, is like running across the edge like this, and he wants to know how far he can go, right? How close can he get? I'm just like, just take a step to the side. Can you please just, like, don't walk so close to the line because it's one accident away from tumbling over, right? That's compromise. Compromise is just, just going, you know what? I want to love God but the world too. I want to I experience this, but I want to experience that too. And I, don't want, I, I want him to come and heal me and make me whole and make me happy and, and make me feel good, but I also want to have all of these other things too. So I just want to walk on both sides for a while, that's compromise. We can't be priests that are hallowed before God if we live a lifestyle of compromise. His presence doesn't come in heavy when there's compromise. Right? The next one is neglect. I want to also say, I would say it's the word ignoring is probably even a better term for this, neglect. What do I mean by that? There are things in our life that we're addicted to that cause us anger, rage. We, we scream at our spouse. We have anxiety and worry. We have the snake in areas of our home that we have allowed in, and we just ignore it. I just hope it goes away. I just neglect dealing with it because I don't want to, because that looks hard, and I don't like hard. I just hope it goes away. I have anger that erupts out of me, and so I tell my children, don't push that button. I refuse to disengage the button and make it not work. I just tell my kids they're responsible for my behavior, and don't push mom's button. 
know that if you do this, mom's going to erupt, so don't push the button, kids. It's your responsibility not to make mom erupt because mom won't work on her own stuff. Mom just ignores that it's there. Mom just chooses to go, you know what? It's your responsibility, four-year-old, to not push the big red button. Be mature enough not to see mom go exploding. Okay, that's your job. You're responsible for the big, if mom explodes, it's on you. Because mom doesn't want to disengage the big red button because I want to avoid it. Because I want to ignore that it's there because it's hard. It's hard to actually face my stuff. Guys, that's mixture, that's compromise. That's allowing the world to come in. That's mom being a worrier and choosing to step into it because that's what good moms do. Good moms worry about their kids. No, good moms trust Jesus and they pray and they take their time and they put their face before the Lord and they say, God, save my children. That's what a good mom does. They don't spend their time worrying. They deal with their stuff. They deal with their fears. They deal with their anxieties and they press through because they want to be holy before God. Right? avoidance mixture. We avoid reading the word. We don't want to hear what it actually has to say. We don't want to change our behaviors because to do that is hard. And so we avoid reading the word of God. We avoid the scriptures that we don't like or that make us uncomfortable because we don't want to know the truth. We, we avoid talking to God when we sin because we're afraid of him because we actually don't want to deal with what he wants to talk to us about. We don't want to live transparent lives before the Lord because it's hard when he says, hey, you have a sin, you need to deal with it. Years ago, this wasn't what I was going to share, but years ago when I, when I was dealing with a crazy amount of fear, um, you guys, any of you who've been here for longer than a month have heard this story, but like the Lord had told me, he goes, he goes you know, that sit, that fear that you deal with, I'm like, yeah, the one that is completely consuming that I can, that like, that's me. Like I am fear. Like if you asked Misty who she was, she would say she's terrified of everything in the world. He was like, yeah, that's sin. I literally was like, I'm not talking to you right now. Like <laughs> I'm in Bible school, right? Like I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. And then as I, I took it before the Lord and he began to show me scripture after scripture that says that I'm not supposed to walk in fear. So what do I do with that? You know, I can choose to avoid it and hope it goes away. Okay, God, then you take it miraculously. Just, I don't want to do the work. You just take it. He was like, no, do the work. Do the work. Walk it out. Walk through this. See that you have this issue and walk it out because that's what makes you righteous. That's, that's the pathway to freedom is to choose to walk it out. And so I, every single day, guys, every single day through crazy night terrors, crazy times in the middle of the night, like every single day I would sit there and for hours I would war through my fear because I was not going to live in a lifestyle of sin before God. It's not because I was called to a pulpit. It was because I was called to be a believer. I was called to be a Christian and Christians don't allow compromise in their life. Christians don't allow mixture in their life. They don't avoid topics because they make them uncomfortable or because we don't like them. We can't be led by our feelings. Well, I don't feel like that scripture is a very positive or kind scripture. Oh, sorry, suck it up. That's what God said, right? Like we have to change. We have to adjust our life for the word of God because when we died, we rose again in Christ to become a new creation. 
you know, and we have to allow his pure word, the pure water of the word to pour over us and in us until everything that's in us that was gross and mucky is out. Right? That's what it's called to be priests and kings before God. We're a royal priesthood. We're set apart. We're sanctified in righteousness through Jesus Christ. Why would we ever choose mixture? We don't want to be dehydrators. We want to be people who are bringing life and kingdom to people. The last one is avoidance. We just avoid things. We don't like to think about something, so we just simply avoid it and hope it goes away. I am not a clean person in my house. Sean is the clean person out of us. And I have an area in our bedroom, it's becoming bigger, that I avoid because it's, Sean calls it Mount Everest. (laughs) Now they're foothills. Now now there are foothills. It's grown into foothills. But here's the thing. I avoid that area. I avoid having to look at it. Why? Because I don't want to have to deal with the mess. I don't know where everything goes. I don't understand how to fix it. Doesn't that kind of feel like life sometimes? Like I look at my own life and I look at the things that God wants me to clean up and to fix and to store and to put into the right place. And I don't know what to do with it. And I just get so frustrated. I just want to avoid it all. Just don't go in the bedroom ever again. Right? Like, just close that door and just act like it doesn't exist. But we're not called to do that. We can't be holy like God is holy when we have Mount Everest living in our house that we refuse to deal with. Right? We have to step into it and deal with the mess. Sean's going, amen, please deal with the mess, Misty. (laughs) Would I have time, Sean? Next year. That was powerless. I have, I have a couple more scriptures, and I know technically you're not supposed to give a ton of scriptures, and I'm going to, I want to just take a few minutes, and I want you guys to read these with me. The first one's out of the Passion Translation, okay? Because the way that it speaks is so crystal clear. Here it goes. You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Stop on that sentence. When we flirt with the world's values, when we mix in stuff, when we compromise because it's easier, when we avoid Mount Everest in our life, or when we just ignore the sins, he calls us, He tells us that we're having an affair on him. I don't know about you, but that doesn't really work very well in my marriage. Sean wouldn't appreciate it if I was having an affair on him. How much more the person who laid down his life and and gave everything. How much more, guys? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself an enemy of God. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is jealous, a jealous lover who is intensely desiring to have more and more of us? But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. Grace, remember, grace is the empowerment to walk away from sin out of Titus. 
Grace enables us to not sin. So he's pouring more and more ability to walk out of sin over us. That's what it's saying. When you are humble, so then surrender to God, stand up to the devil and resist him and he will turn and run away from you. That's a promise. But you walk through it. You walk through it. You choose to go, you know what? I have had compromise and mixture and I have had avoidance and and I have neglected things in my life because I didn't want to deal with them, but I'm done living as an adulterer before the Lord. I want to be set apart. I want to be hallowed before him. I want to be able to be a priest who can serve God with righteousness and dignity and holiness and serve people out of true unhindered love because I have a lifestyle that's walking out righteousness before Jesus. First Peter 4, uh, I'm sorry, First Peter 1, 14 and 16 says, as God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you For the scripture says, you are to be holy because I am holy. Your boast in 1 Corinthians 5, you can see that there. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ. Our Passover also has been sanctified. Guys, that's what I was talking about with mixture. That's the scripture about talking about mixture. When you have yeast in the dough, it becomes mixed and it becomes a, a... leavened piece of dough, right? It's different than it was before. Sin gets in, it takes over, but we're called to live pure lives, not with mixture and compromise. All right, here's, here's the picture, and I'm going to actually ask you guys to do this with me. I know it's weird, okay? That's what we do here. We're weird. It's all right. Sean's always weird, so... Here's the thing. The picture that I had on Tuesday morning was this. I, I felt like the Lord had just said, he, he goes, I want you to have the congregation hold out their hands. And in front of them, I want them to imagine putting the place of mixture or compromise, a place of neglect or things that we have ne- ignored in our life, and to imagine what that is for just a second and to hold it out before the Lord. Are we willing? Just look at it. Is that idol that we have, it's an idol. Anything that we've put above God or refused to submit to God in is an idol. Is that thing that we have in our life that we've refused to let go of, the place where mixture has happened or compromise, the thing that we've tried to avoid or ignore, is that thing more important than serving God with everything. My right to get angry and to scream at people and to abuse them, is that worth it? My refusal to deal with my sin, is my sin more important than God? Is it more important than the calling of God that he has placed on my life? Look at it for a minute. Does it compare to the holiness and the righteousness 
of God? Is it valuable? And if it's not, we need to sacrifice it on the altar. We need to step into a place where we understand that we are priests and kings and we cannot live like people in Second Chronicles did who refused to sanctify themselves before the Lord and they could not be used by God because of it. I just want you to take a minute and to just release it to Jesus. I really feel like today he wants to break off addictions, all of them, whatever kind it is. Addictions to the way that we think about our past. Addictions to, to anything. He wants to disengage the big red button that makes us explode on people or hurt people or trip into gossip or tearing people down. He wants to break these things because he wants a holy people that are set apart that are hallowed before him, who are living lives, becoming holy like he is holy. So I just want you to, I just, I don't know, I just feel like maybe just to pray with you guys. So Jesus, we just give you this thing. For those of you who are willing, we give you this thing. God, I repent for letting it become an idol before me. I repent for letting mixture come into my relationship with you, Jesus. I repent for compromising my values, your values, the way that I live my life, the way that I speak, the way that I talk, the way that I treat people, Jesus. The things that I do in quiet and in hiding, Jesus. I've compromised even my thought life, Jesus, I give to you. And I repent for the places I've ignored the sin. I've ignored the way that I've responded. I've ignored the way that I treat people. Or I've avoided it completely, Jesus, and I just hope that it goes away. Would you forgive me for wanting a quick fix miracle and not being willing to have my heart renovated and my character renewed? Jesus, would you forgive me for laziness? For refusing to do the hard work. Partnering with you in renovation, Jesus. I give you this thing. And I set it before you, God. Would you make me holy before you? Would you restore me? Would you... Let me be sanctified so that I can step into service for you, pure, without mixture or compromise. God, we just invite your presence to come. I feel like he's just talking, talking to you guys today. As we, as we land, I want to I read the 
prayer that Hezekiah prayed over his people at the end of this passage. I'm going to read it over you. And it says in 2 Chronicles, I'm going to read just a bit and then I'm going to pray his prayer. It says, The people had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what the Passover, or to, um, to the restrictions that the Passover had laid out for them to be cleansed. And so Jesus, today, we recognize that even today we took your elements, God. We took the blood and the body. And when we took that, Jesus, we had mixture in our lives or compromise. There were places that we had just been ignoring in our life. And yet we took that anyway and we accepted your blood and your, and your body, God, as our sacrifice, Jesus. So God, I just pray this prayer with Hezekiah. May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers. Though he was not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And listen to what happened in the Old Testament before Jesus had, had died for us. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and he healed the people. Even in the Old Testament, his mercy was overwhelmingly big. So Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for your restoration. We thank you that you're breaking off these places in our lives, God. We refuse to continue to hide them in a corner and hope that they go away. God, help us to tenaciously pursue your presence, pursue who you are, God. Help us to become holy like you are holy, Jesus. Thank you for your grace that enables us to live righteous and holy lives and teaches us how to not sin and teaches us how to walk in holiness. God, we, we accept the grace upon grace. More and more grace given to us. Jesus, we just say we need it all. We just need more. But we're willing to look at our stuff and we're willing to deal with it because we want to be set apart priests we want to be royal priesthood, God, who are so busy reconciling the world to you, Jesus, out of a pure heart, out of pure lives. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.